Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by John Huntinghouse, VP of Marketing at Tab Bank. John, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for the invite. I'm uh, super excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. So I usually open these episodes by by going back to the beginning of people's career. I feel like that's a great way to kind of frame up context about, you know, the subject that we're talking about and, and give our listeners an understanding of kind of your frame of thinking. So can you just kind of share a bit of background of like, how did you get into marketing? Kind of how did that progress? And, and how has that kind of shaped you into where you're at today? Yeah, I mean, it's always a, a good origin story, right? Like as how you come into marketing. But yeah, m- mine's very, uh, very non-traditional uh, route as to how I came into marketing. I actually came from, I used to be a cardiovascular genetic researcher. And so that was what I did in a former life, right? Uh, very different than uh, marketing. Casual. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, Supernatural uh, transition. Yeah, I mean, every, everybody was like, what? You're doing what now? But yeah, I was, I, I did CV research. And then I actually went from a CV research to a full-time blogger which is like the most like random transition in the world, right? So I got my start in, uh, in marketing as a full-time blogger. I, you know, we'll, we'll probably go into this a little bit more as we go through the podcast. But I think one of my sensitivities to like business metrics and stuff like that is because I was a full-time blogger, I had to combine, you know, both the marketing uh, data that we're looking at in, in terms of engagements and, you know, website and everything. But then I also had to tie that back into the business because the business had to grow. Right. Because yeah. I was running a business at the same time. I, I, I did that for uh, quite a few years and then ended up getting recruited to work at a local NBC affiliate news station here. I, I kind of ran their social media. I was their director of uh, social media. You know, that wasn't necessarily the best fit for me and vice versa. And then I ended up going into the agency route uh, after yeah. that. And so loved my time in the agency. And it was it was a great Worked with some really smart people, you know, and, and and I feel like during that time, you know, at the news station, as well as the agency, that's really where I started to hone in the craft, right? Like really start to refine um, and articulate the things that I had experienced, you know, as I was uh, as a marketer and really trying to understand um, and, and, and add a level of depth and rigor uh, to mm. the metrics that we were running. And really, a lot of that comes from stemming from my CV research background. You turn it in an abstract, your first draft on that, and as, when it gets peer-reviewed, I mean, it gets torn to pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, honing in on your numbers, understanding what the metrics mean, how it ties into the overall uh, focus uh, and hypothesis that you're running through. Like, I think taking that rigor from that my research life and bringing that into marketing, it's really been one of the things that's kind of for me in my career, mm-hmm. kind of different, differentiated things. And then ultimately it came here to Tab Bank, kind of expanded my scope from the director of digital marketing into VP of marketing and kind of running all the marketing over here at Tab Bank. And, you know, in a nutshell, I mean, I could, I could go into details, but in a nutshell, that's kind of how I got to where I am. Yeah. Well, what's so funny, I feel like every marketer says I have a non-traditional background and I think that's <laughs> true. But I've never heard cardiovascular researcher before. <laughs> right. I, mean, I feel like that is that is definitely a different one. I think that takes the cake. So yeah, yeah. well, it's it's weird. I mean, it's funny because when I first 
started and made that transition, you know, people either prior to a meeting or prior to doing a brand deal or something like that, you know, people would do research on me just to learn more about who I am. Yeah. And every, everything online was all my, you know, papers that I published from the <laughs> academic side from CV research. And they're like, is this the same person? Yeah. There's no way there's, there's two John Honeyhouses. Yeah. Like <laughs> everything I find online, it's very <laughs> different than the person that I feel like I'm meeting with right now. So totally. It was a little weird. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I want to kind of dive into the topic at hand. You know, you and I have had conversations around insights, communicating metrics. And one of the things that really, I think, spurred my desire to have you on this podcast for this episode specifically was that LinkedIn post that you published all around, you know, sharing metrics and, and how marketing is actually speaking a different language than other areas of the business. Like, let's dive into that a little bit deeper and kind of explain what bubble that marketers tend to get stuck in and, and kind of why and how that relates to the other areas of the business? Yeah, I mean, mar- marketers are just like any any department, right? Marketers, you know, have their department-specific metrics. They have a tendency to look at and focus on. Um, the problem is, is as you speak with other departments, and especially as you're talking to, you know, C-suite or upper management, a, a lot of those metrics, while they're useful for the marketers, uh, from the management standpoint, like they, they just don't know what to do with that information. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. that's great. Our website traffic is, you know, uh, increasing, you know, or that our conversions are increasing. But ultimately, like the metrics that they're looking looking at, right, is they're looking at the overall health and growth of the company. The problem is, is when we're just stuck in our own marketing bubble and when we're not communicating effectively as to how that pertains to those bottom line numbers, upper management, just like they don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, marketers, when we're trying to have influence, when we're trying to have a seat at the table, yeah. traditionally, we don't get that seat at the table because, A, we, we don't understand the language that's being spoken. And they clearly don't understand our language. And, you know, w- one of the things that kind of spurred that was, you know, having a conversation with a friend of mine. And he, he was just incredibly frustrated. And I tried to shed a little bit of light, you know, a little different perspective for him. And it was just like, look. If you want to help them understand, like you need to do the work for them, right? Like they're not going to be able to just come in and make that tie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to, because they don't understand the marketing metrics. And so you, you need to find a way to tie those marketing metrics into the metrics that the you know upper management and C-suite are looking at, because that's what mm-hmm. they're ultimately, ultimately they're reporting on that to a board or to uh, whoever. And if they can't explain the numbers and the metrics you're giving to them in that context, like they're just not going to do it at all. Yeah. And so I, you know, I ultimately, I, I think that's kind of like where we run into this trap is like, we are so stuck in our own marketing metrics, which is fine. Like they're useful and you need to understand them. Mm-hmm. But when we are communicating to other departments and especially as we're communicating to upper management, like we really need to be able to tie that language, you know, their metrics into the metrics that we're looking at. Yeah, completely agree. I think one of the things that comes to mind for me is, you know, it's kind of like that internal sales aspect, right? Like to your point, if you're going to try and influence the organization to whether that's fighting for more marketing budget or investing in a new initiative or channel or, you know, a partnership or something like that, you're going to need to sell it. And you can't sell to someone if you don't speak their language, right? Like that's, yep, I think what comes to, to mind is like <laughs> your, your opportunity for, for influence goes to zero if you do not speak the same language. Yeah. I mean, because they just don't get it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and vice versa, like 
I mean, you, you could flip the other sh- the other way, right? Like if you have someone in, from IT yeah. who's telling you, it's like, hey, listen, we need to make this change that's going to affect marketing. And they're speaking, you know, and they're using numbers and metrics that we're not familiar with, you know, because they're IT specific metrics. I, I really don't understand why this is important because yeah. I, like I want to, it's, yeah. it's like we're all, we're all on the same team here, but I, I just don't get why it's important. Um, and then and conversely, like that's what happens when, you know, we're speaking on, you know, in our marketing bubble. Um, they, they want to understand, they just don't. And mm-hmm. we, we need to find a way to bridge that gap. I think that's like some of the best marketers that I've worked with, and I'd be curious to get your take on this, is ones that can act as translators between the business. So they know, hey, we're doing this from a marketing perspective. Here's how we're reporting on it from metrics, but also here's why we're doing it. And that why is related back to an overarching business objective. So, you know, we're trying to grow our brand awareness. We're trying to grow our user acquisition. We're trying to grow our attention, whatever that is. And kind of like tying those two things back. What do, what do you think about that? Ultimately, like when you're trying to communicate, you know, and, and you realize you're not doing an effective job on this. And this is something that I've done myself, right? Like I've run into the same problem yeah. where I get, I get frustrated. I present data that I think is very clearly articulated. <laughs> I think it's good. And then like, I, it gets dismissed out of hand. It's really easy for me just to rail on them and just say like, they just don't get it, you yeah. know, but th- the reality is, yeah, you need to bring in um, other people or have other people kind of help you better understand how to communicate it, right? Like, I mean, it really is, that's what it is. Um, yeah. It's just learning to, to, as you're progressing in your career and as you're trying to have influence with other departments in the business, like you need to be able to communicate in a way that they understand. And if you naturally aren't able to do that, you mm-hmm. know, and for me, like I was so entrenched in the marketing world and I still am, like I still run into our marketing buzzwords, you know, and our marketing yeah. lingo. And I have to like deconstruct that, you know, like our, our bank president who probably gets marketing better than most CEOs and presidents, you know, occasionally, you know, he'll just look at me and be like, um, you're going to have to rephrase that. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going a little bit too <laughs> off on the deep end here. Let, yeah. let me rephrase that. So I, I agree. Like getting other people, you know, either externally or internally, right. Um, yeah. There's a lot of internal stakeholders that can help you kind of bridge that gap to better communicate what's going on. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you raise there. It, it comes back to this, this simple principle of alignment of language, right? To your point, that kind of common like phrase, marketers ruin everything, including like <laughs> definitions of things, alignment <laughs> of language is like, oh, we had such a great word for this. Then someone decided to add it or morph it, or now it's something else. And we're like, wait, is that the same thing or different? And like, there is kind of this like obfuscation that happens. And so- it, it is like one of my biggest pet peeves of marketers do this. Yeah. It's like- I, I can't stand it. It's like, listen, like if it's, if it's fundamentally different then cool and let's go with it. But like, it, it's so hard to communicate because we're changing the terminology all the time when we're really essentially talking about the exact same thing. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. we can have a whole nother podcast. Episode, <laughs> Alignment of language, I feel like is a, is a big topic. And it's, it's funny though, because that's something that I talk a lot about in, in strategy conversations is aligning language and the, the importance of aligning language, even, you know, aligning on the the definition of an objective, a strategy and a tactic. Like even just those three things, like having that alignment of language, but it's the same thing with metrics and and communicating that with the business, being able to communicate learnings to them and vice versa, interpret what you're hearing back from them. The the other thing that you said that was interesting that kind of stuck out in my mind is is like 
the need for education. Now, when you say education, is that a two-way street? So like obviously yep. marketing needs to educate themselves, but at the same time, what is marketing doing to help educate the broader business? I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, just to use a very nascent example, which is uh, um, for us here at Tab Bank, right? When I first came on board, the, the person who originally hired me ended up leaving three months after I started. Wow. Um, and, and then we, we kind of had a re realignment as to where marketing went into. And, you know, this is honestly probably one of the best things that's happened for me in my career. The person now that I now report to, you know, he's an accountant by trade, you know, and like he's, he's, he's not like, you know, he, and he, he, he'll self-admit this, right? Like um, he, he's not a marketer, right? Like he's not. And when we, when we first were meeting, like we couldn't have come from two different worlds, right? Yeah. Uh, me, me coming come from a marketing standpoint and him coming from an accounting standpoint. But one of the things that like has really been well, you know, it's a education on my part. Like he's helped me a lot to really dig deeper into like, how, do, how does a CFO, how does an accountant like look at the numbers and look at what we're looking at? Um, and really understanding the metrics that I, like I need to start to kind of focus on. Yeah. Uh, but but to his credit, he's also really started to gain an understanding of like how marketing works and yeah. um, on some of the things that we can and, and clearly articulate and work well and some of the things that we can't. And so then like on the ones that we can't, you know, uh, that gets in, in a little bit more of a nebulous area uh, that we don't have direct attribution or that attribution is a little messy. Yeah. Like understanding, you know, when, when it comes to branding and um, how we're looking, whether or not our brand efforts are effective or not, like him coming, you know, and meeting us, you know, and finding this kind of co-education between the two. And I realized that I'm really fortunate, you know, here at TAP because I had someone that was willing to do that and other yeah. people don't, you know, like I know plenty of examples from, you know, personal friends of mine who they report to a boss who like, who could care less, right? He's just like, you know, they're just like, whatever. I don't get it. Like, and just throwing back. Yeah. Um, but when you have both upper management who's kind of reaching, kind of reaching down, like and, and trying to meet you and really hammer out like what is important, what's not important. You know, from my perspective, this is what I'm seeing. Um, now you try to explain why I'm wrong or yeah. like where I'm missing the mark, and vice versa. Having that back and forth, I think is just really, really crucial in terms of honestly for businesses to hone in their metrics in, in terms of focusing on what's most important. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that immediately I thought of as you were kind of explaining that is this phrase that a, a really good friend of mine used where he said, marketing is art for the sake of commerce, commerce being the key word. And, yeah. you know, it's like, I always, <laughs> I've gone back in, in previous roles when I worked on the brand side as to like, what are we trying to do here? Like, yeah, we're trying to do this. Like, I think a lot of times marketers kind of almost get like too lost in the sauce, so to speak, Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> is the phrase yep. that I love using is yeah. they get lost in the sauce of like, we're doing this activation and, you know, here's the strategy we rolled out and we're going to do all this thing and this new feature and blah, blah, blah. And they're so excited about that. And they kind of get lost in the sauce instead of realizing like, why are we doing this? And what does this actually contribute to from a business perspective? And so, yeah, that commerce being the key word. And that's, that's why it's necessary to have those conversations and that like constant ongoing dialogue with people who are maybe sitting more on like the finance side or the, you know, the over, like high level business stewardship, I guess. It, it, it's true. And, you know, a lot of times that happens because, you know, I, I don't know why this happens um, so often, but oftentimes upper management, like they just don't communicate the whole picture, right? Yeah. Like, they become a filter in and of themselves. Yeah. The more that they're able to give 
marketers and more and then the more than like someone like a VP of marketing or a director of marketing can lay out to the people who are reporting to them the full picture the better that they understand it's like you know what I'm working on this and we have some awesome results here but like it really has nothing to do with our overall strategy or like the overall goals therefore yeah. now I start to understand you know um, and you know I always use my daughter my oldest daughter who's 13 and she is like I mean, she's probably helped me refine this better than anyone, because if I tell her to do something without like without a reason, she calls it immediately. Right. Like she just calls it out. She's like, Dad, you're just making crap up right now. Like, just like stop. Like there's no reason that I can or cannot do that. Right. But if I'm able to tell her, just help her understand, like why I I'm asking her to do something like all of a sudden, like she actually is really good at getting it. Right. It's like, oh, I, I understand it. I'm willing to kind of follow suit with that. Yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. What a, what yeah. a concept. There's a reason. I know. <laughs> like, right? I know. It sounds so simple. And like, yeah, I immediately think it's, of like, it's hard. Yeah. Well, like love it or hate it. The Simon Sinek book start with why, like some people love it. Some people hate it, but it's like, yeah, it's true. It all does go back to starting with why. And I'm lucky he got that title of that book. What a title. Um, yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> so I want to, you know, we've kind of talked about the, the challenge or the problem, so to speak, of, or like what kind of causes it. Um, I kind of want to switch gears here and talk about, you know, what's the best way to improve this? Like to, to marketers who are listening, they're going, okay, hey, you know, everything that you have just been talking about resonates with me. I, I've felt that pain or I've, I've observed that pain what can they kind of do to seek new ways to improve their communication approach and, and insights, whether that's across a team of people or a specific executive, what would you say that they should be kind of keeping in mind? There's a million different ways you can kind of approach this, but like first and foremost, if you do not understand what your boss is looking at, if you don't understand their dashboard, that's where you have to start. You have to understand like the framework where you're reporting to. For me, they just gave me access to it, right? They're yeah. like, hey, this, this is exactly what I'm looking at. This is what I'm trying to make sense of, right? Yeah. Once I started to do that, you know, and, you know, at the agency level, it was remarkable. I mean, one of the, the biggest problems that agencies run into is that they lack context, right? They don't have clear, perfect visibility in terms of like internal focus and yeah. Um, and strategies of what the company really wants to do overall. Yeah. And and the more clear and more transparent that can become, the better you know you and the agency works because they start to gain contacts a little bit. Well, yeah. the same thing happens within you know internally within a business. It's like when I don't clearly understand what the intent is, like what are you know, it's like I love the concept of commander's intent because what it is is it's like, listen we know like we're going to build out this plan and almost guarantee that there's going to be parts of this plan that gets blown up. Right. But you need to understand the overall intent, you know, in our case would be, you know, overall goals, overall strategy of like what we're trying to understand. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to look at what are the dashboards that, you know, what are the metrics that your bosses are working on? And when you can see clearly without them filtering it, you know, and, and just go to them just like, listen, I want to align all of our activities to what you're doing. So that yeah. like, I really want to make your job easier. Yeah. Um, but when you do that, it, it is step number one, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything else, uh, I, I feel like kind of comes secondary, but as, as you gain clear understanding and aligning yourselves better to where the business is, you know, what direction they're, they're trying to go to, the better that process tends to go. And so if you don't have clear visibility into what your boss is being judged on, you should get that, right? Every boss that I know of, 
um, is more than willing to say that. It's like, listen, this is what I, I have to report on. So if you can help me improve my numbers, right? Just yeah. like marketers are trying to improve their own numbers, yeah. um, the, the better alignment you can kind of create. Yeah. Well, the thing that it sounds like is key there is this kind of causal linkage between the two, right? So it's like, you know, much like you as the VP of marketing has your team under you who are responsible for things that need to ladder up to what you're responsible for. You yep. then need to ladder up to what, you know, CFO yep. or CEO. And it's all having those things that link from top to bottom and having them causally link. So that makes it a ton of sense. Is there kind of an example that you have? Like, can you think of an instance where you or your team had a maybe a unique or powerful thing to share with the company, a successful campaign, that sort of thing, but you maybe weren't able to kind of tell it well to the rest of the org and maybe it, was it related to language? Like, do you have any examples of that? Because I like thinking back on my career, I probably do where I'm like, this is amazing. And the, everyone, it kind of falls on like dead airs, deaf ears and yeah. like crickets. It was probably the stressful part of like, but basically I, I had a, a situation where kind of working with a client and we had the data, we were gearing up for a massive Black Friday event, you know, and yeah. we clearly had a, a year's worth of data that kind of showed us the direction that we needed to go. And I was, you know, I was pretty adamant on this. For our strategies, you know, in terms of communication and what we need to go high level, it really was just a more direct approach, right? Yeah. Whereas they were just like, well, this seems so off brand. Like we need something more brand friendly, you know, like uplifting and fun, you know, and my pushback is like, it, like it won't work, you know, and I was trying to show them the metrics and the numbers, you know, throughout the year that clearly, like to me, clearly demonstrated that this was going to work. Yeah. And so we kind of went back and forth and they're like, yeah, we, but they did, they didn't get it. Right. Yeah. They, did, they didn't understand the, the information I was trying to say. Long story short, this actually worked, ended up working out, but what happened was we, we kept on going back and forth and I just felt so strongly because I, I was like, the data on here is just like so clear to me. Yeah. But they gave us an ultimatum, right? It's like, cool, we'll do it your way. But if it doesn't work, we're going to let you go as a client. And Whoa. it was like, like my job would have been fine. But like we had two people in the creative side that was completely dependent upon this client. If, wow. if, that, if that client leaves, those two people get let, let go. Yeah. And so I was stressing out, right? Like I was just like, oh man, this is like, nutty. And in this case, it worked out. But what I realized was through that experience, I did a really, really poor job. It should have been just an ultimatum. Like the reason they did an ultimatum is because they didn't understand, but they also wanted just to move forward. Right. And yeah. so they're like, whatever you do, whatever, but you know, we it's still gonna don't be your butt it. on the line. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we don't understand what you're doing. So if this doesn't work, like this is on you. Yeah. And it was like clear as day to me, like that I did a really, really poor job uh, yeah. really communicating why I felt so passionately about what the data was saying. You know, you asking that question, I, hey, it was, it was so stressful, right? Like Black Friday comes, I'm like refreshing every three minutes. Yeah. And I look, looking at the customers as they come in, but you know, it worked out. Uh, it was undued. It was unnecessary had I just communicated correctly. And yeah. had I communicated that, they would have clearly seen like what I saw yeah. um, and, and they would have been fine with it and they would have been on board. Clear communication and structured communication. That's something that I feel like I'm good at talking, but I'm constantly always having to figure out the writing portion and like yeah. <laughs> clearly communicating. And now what I've tried to start doing is writing things out is, is a way that good writing is clear thinking. I think is yeah. like a phrase, right? And so, yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. I want to kind of switch gears here a bit, just to talk about like marketing more general here. What are you most excited about when it comes to marketing? I feel like there's been a lot that's happened in marketing over the last little bit. We've had, you know, different platforms roll up. There's obviously been changes in, in privacy with iOS 14.5, cookies going away. Like, 
you know, there's no shortage of shiny objects across the board. What gets you fired up as a marketer? What are you excited for as we kind of head into another year here? Honestly, like just generally speaking, 30,000 foot view is I actually love diving into like creating new processes, creating, doing new product launches, like all of this, because like the messiness that comes along with it, I, I think actually builds, you know, like marketing muscles, right? Like it, yeah. like it helps you refine, it helps you articulate like what you're really trying to get to. But the one thing that, you know, especially with some of the shifts that we're seeing, some of the shifts that we are, we're already seeing, you know, being consumer focused, you know, really the customers really owning the platforms and, you know, it's, it's not really the brands just communicating to the customers. The customers really control this journey. But one of the things that I, I think that we're looking at, and, and maybe there isn't, some of the top brands are doing this, but like, I, I think some of the mid tiers to bottom tiers, or I mean, you know, small, you know, smaller mom and pop shops aren't really focusing on is kind of the shift from this pre-purchase phase to kind of the, the post-purchase and the purchase stage of the marketing game. Like, I, I really think there's a massive opportunity for marketing mm -hmm. to really get outside of just like getting customers through the door, right? Yeah. Um, because that really is only one part of it, but really focusing in, on kind of the retention and um, that customer journey and customer experience there, really both experiences from that we're experiencing as well as um, other clients that I've had. When marketers only focus on uh, up to acquisition, right? Like yeah. that really is only a third of the game, right? Like you're just getting them for sure. Hard. But if you want to see like massive marketing growth, um, and, and we've seen this, you know, at Tab, improving that customer journey and like finding ways to kind of build these growth loops, if you will, or kind of create a flywheel within your customer base. Yeah, really, really is a an awesome opportunity to see big, you know, large growth, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you get your 15, 20 percent, you know, year over year growth, which is awesome. But when you're trying to grow, you know, like we, we, we've ended up growing up our pipeline from 20 million two years ago to 200 million. Right. Wow. Um, and, and so like, how do you do that? Very few companies really have the resources to just do that only through acquisition. Like it's yeah. too expensive. It's too expensive to do that. But yeah. when, when you're broadening out your, your strategies to include that, uh, the purchase and the post-purchase customer journey, I think it becomes really, really powerful. And, and I really do think that marketing and it's marketing's unique voice is the voice of the customer, right? Really understanding yeah. where they are, what their needs are. And then, as we're talking about alignment, right? Like I, I think marketing's superpower, right, is being able to create alignment between the customers and where they're at and where they're moving um, with the business, right? Yeah. And helping direct them. It's like, okay, yeah, this is where our customers are moving, right? It's a dynamic area and we need to kind of follow where the customers are going. Yeah. It's funny thinking back to, to like, just as you were kind of talking through that, thinking about, yeah, typically you'd hear marketing's job is to like bring customers in the door. And that was kind yeah. of it, right? Like yeah. that, you know, the last decade probably is like, yeah, bring customers in the door. And, you know, it's almost thinking like, okay, that, that, that was, you know, high school, elementary school, high school. <laughs> and like now university is going to be like, okay, what can you do to kind of retain those customers? And I wonder if it's almost kind of been with the shift of business model. Cause I feel like, and, and maybe this is just me and, and my priviness to it, but I feel like over the last you know, five years, probably there's been a lot of talk within the marketing world around business models, recurring revenue yep. models, SaaS, yep. like these types yep. of businesses. And yep. as part of that, like shift in model, 
you're starting to see like, oh, now that you're shifting to recurring, it's not just getting people in the door, it's keeping them in the door. And, yeah. and like, what are you doing? And, and keeping them in the door is a whole, opens a whole nother can of worms, so to speak, yeah. because it, it's a different set of problems that you're trying to yep. solve for. And it's a different set of solutions that you have to come up with. It, it doubles, triples the work sometimes. Um, yep. And so, yeah, huh, that's really interesting. I feel like that's a, that's like a bold prediction, like a John Huntinghouse 2022 <laughs> prediction is, is like focusing on, on, you know, diving deeper into, into retention and conversion. Yeah. You know, especially, obviously you kind of see that in the tech world, but I mean, it's, it's funny, like there is kind of this battle, right. In the marketing world, especially with some large brands versus some performance driven type marketers, right. I mean, this is like my school of thought, right? But like, there is another school of thought, right? That like retention doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Um, that like retention, like you basically that you can't control retention. And it's it's funny because like me personally, like completely, this is slightly off topic, but yeah, yeah um, far away. Like, <laughs> but like, it, it really is like one of my goals is to kind of create this like unifying marketing theory. And, and it really is tying in marketing rules that kind of govern like the large, massive brands, like the, you know, the... Nike, Amazon, Googles of the world, um, as well as like the mom and pop shops or like the yeah. small e or the one-off e-commerce. In a lot of ways, I, I feel like it's kind of like um, dealing with Einstein's law of physics and, and, and dealing with when you're looking on a smaller scale, you know, you have these comp two competing forces, physics and, you know, Einstein trying to combine those two. I still feel like we, we see something very similar in marketing. And it's like, yeah. you have these two like governing laws that like kind of run into each other yeah. uh, with brand and performance marketing. But I'd like, I, oh, I, yeah. I, I really do feel like there's a, an opportunity to, all right, how do we kind of bring these, you know, like our version of quantum mechanics and, and tying that into these large brand marketing laws and, and theories? Uh, it's so funny. There probably hasn't been a podcast episode that I've recorded where brand and performance as like yeah. <laughs> two sides of the fence don't come up and the pendulum that swings back and forth between the yep. two. So yeah, that's hilarious. I think the retention piece, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. We have some kind of, you know, best in class brands that do that across different industries, just with the continued maturity of digital. And as it continues to mature as, as a function, plus as the world kind of becomes more and more digital, I think we're just scratching the surface, right? Like if we think back, what, okay, the iPhone came out in, in 2007, 2008, whatever time it is like, okay, we're 15 years in, like we have a teenager, like imagine yeah. what that's going to be when they're a 30 year old or a 50 year old or, you know, that sort yep. of thing. So interesting to, to think about this is, this is a, a completely random question. Are there any brands <laughs> out there that you admire from a marketing perspective? Like for me, you know, Apple can do no wrong for me. Like I'm that guy that Apple rolls out a product that is completely irrational. And I'm just like, take my money. Or, <laughs> you know, another one would be Yeti coolers. I think like what Yeti's done, they took a category and a product that wasn't sexy and made it super sexy. So like, I, I really appreciate that. But are there any brands for you? Like when you think about like marketing and what pops up to you? I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat with Apple, you know, and <laughs> I, I, I really do like Nike. I, you yeah. know, like, I like the, a lot of the work that they're doing. Low key, I mean, it's not low-key. I mean, they're spending, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a, a year. But, like, I think what Progressive is doing is, like, awesome. It's, like, world-class stuff. Progressive man. insurance. Like, yeah, Progressive insurance. Like, okay. Like, they're, I mean, their long-term picture of what they're trying to do with their brand characters, right? Like, yeah. specifically, just to, like, highlight one component of this, right? Yeah. I mean, they are creating you know, MCU version of, you know, or the insurance version of the MCU, right? Like this Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? So like yeah. what Marvel did in building into the Avengers, it's kind of what Progressive is doing. And so 
their their brand play is not a one year one one or two year brand play. I mean, it's a decade. Play. Like these are yeah. like de- decades in the making. Yeah, uh, building building up these you know different characters. You know, like Flo and Doctor Rick and like yeah. all of these. I relate a lot to Doctor Rick because like it's like huh. completely on point for me. And then you know they're they're creating these separate verticals of these brand characters in these different worlds, but ultimately they're going to be bringing them together, right? And it's like. I think it's like a genius play from, a, so as we're talking about brand marketing, like I, I think it's it's really awesome to see a large brand do like a long-term play, right? Yeah. Like a, I don't think people talk about progressive enough. I mean, yeah. people do, but they, they kind of fall under the radar a little bit, but I, I think both their creativity as well as their, you know, just the performance side is actually re- really, really on point. Yeah, I, that is not what I thought you were going to say. And I'm like, I, yeah. now I want to go away and dig into that. And <laughs> I guess, you know, like as, as you were saying that, it, it does make sense when you think about insurance, if you can retain those people, high customer lifetime value, you know, I think about like, my parents or, you know, the insurance that I have for my homeowner's insurance, it's like, yeah, what, once you sign with one person, chances are of you switching is like pretty tough. And so that's why you can kind of have deploy a strategy like that, where you're like, yeah, we are thinking about this in decades, as opposed to this campaign this season. Yeah. And I just like, honestly, just, I mean, all things put aside, I actually just love the entertainment value. Like, oh, I, yeah. I think, I, and, and I really do think B2B brands, like, I don't know why B2B brands have a tendency to suck a lot more than like B2C <laughs> brands, but like, I, I think there is something to be learned there. Right. Um, yeah. And having kind of this long-term play, I mean, they're really driven on a lot of the performance part of it, but I, yeah. I, I do yeah. think there's something to be learned from some of these brands like Apple or like progressive. Yeah, totally. A couple final questions here. I always say this, I didn't go to university for marketing. I actually dropped out of university entirely. And I've been able to learn a ton from, from reading and reading articles, reading books, uh, listening to podcasts. So I always ask everybody, how do you stay up to date on business and marketing? Who are you following? What are you reading? Who are you listening to? Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> it's a, it's a good question. And I, I do a lot, you know, I, I did both, right. Like from an education standpoint, but from a marketing standpoint, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I did my MBA and I, I did a little bit of marketing, but it, it really is most of it. It's just been learning through my own experiences and then following other, uh, other people who have done a really, you know, a really good job at this. But like when you're looking from like a high level, like business slash, you know, high level marketing standpoint, people like Scott Galloway, Brian Balford, Andrew Chen, like I think are amazing at what they do. You know, they have a really long track record in, in terms of building out that high level stuff. And when, when you're trying to look more granular, you know, there's individuals like Susan Winograd and like Dennis Yu and John Loomer who really can get into yeah. the details and like really get into the nuts and bolts, especially on the performance side. Like totally. um, I, I learned a ton, you know, Dennis has helped me like personally a lot. Like he's kind of like my mentor of like his frameworks and like his kind of action plans yeah. um, really helped me to refine. Like I knew a lot through just, you know, trial and error, but then I, I was able to take that trial and error and refine it a lot through the work that Susan and Dennis and uh, John all have put together. Yeah, it's funny. John Loomer's blog is something that I I read a ton <laughs> of back back in the day. I'm obviously a, a, a huge Galloway fan as well. Last like deep question here, really deep, hard question. <laughs> We're leaving the heavy hitters till the end. If, if you kind of had one piece of advice for someone working in marketing today that they should be keeping in mind as they move ahead in their career, what would it be? Two fronts, right? I, I would say from a career standpoint, the number one thing that I, I, I actually think a lot of people generally don't do very well 
you know, marketers as well. Um, and I teach a lot of students, you know, I've taught over 500 students uh, with different courses. And it's like the number one thing that I try to get to them, own your career, right? Like don't put your career in the hands of other people. Like mm-hmm. as nice as your boss is, yeah. learn to kind of push the boundaries, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and really understand like negotiations. We don't ever talk about negotiations because it's not necessarily per se like a marketing skill yeah. set. But when you understand like, you know, a lot of times people are like, hey, go ask for a raise. And so like, they'll just go in there and just ask for a raise without any planning, without any thinking yeah. about it. It's any like, evidence? listen, yeah, like you need to have leverage. Like if you want to negotiate a salary and, you know, I, I give them the examples that I do all the time of like how in, in two years I was able to, you know, double my salary, right? How do you do that? Well, you do that by having leverage, like a performing, like you have yeah. to perform. You got to do the job. But, no, you, you have to be, but that's, you know, but doing the job by itself is not good enough. Right. Like, yeah. Um, because oftentimes people feel like they can find other people that can also do that. But when you can like use other, like another company or another offer or something else uh, as leverage, like it's, it's one of the things that I, I just feel like too many people put their own careers uh, and livelihoods in the hands of other people yeah. um, and learning, you know, and I'm not just saying like to hold, you know, hold your company hostage or anything like that. Yeah. Right. But but also like, just be aware of like, if you never ask, like they're not, you'll get that 3% raise, right? Like yeah. they will give you your annual 3% raise, but if you never push it, um, no one else is going to push on, on your behalf. And yeah. so learning, learning to like have a good relationship, you know, with your boss so that you can open it up and have those discussions and just yeah. say, Hey, this is where I'm at. These are my needs, but that's on more on the career side of just owning it. The other thing it really is get firsthand experience from your customers, learn just to talk to them, like get outside of your own little, like in in the world of digital, where we have so much data and we have so many interactions that we can see on dashboards and stuff, learning just to have conversations with your customers and having interviews with them and just talking through what they're doing, what they're seeing and their perspective. And and it's not even the answers to your questions that that are insightful. Almost always the insightful informations come randomly as they're talking about the questions you ask, mm-hmm. they happen to go off on a tangent or like they bring in other contexts that you didn't think of. Yeah. It really helps you become empathetic uh, in yeah. terms of like what they're seeing and gets outside of your own blind spots and, you know, uh, biases that you have as a marketer. Yeah, for sure. That first point, absolutely agree. Second point, it reminds me of, uh, we recorded another episode with a woman by the name of Caitlin Burgoyne, and she's the CEO of a company called Customer Camp. And her whole phrase is, or her whole kind of like thesis is, whoever gets closest to the customer wins. Yep. That's, and like, like that. bang, bang on. So, okay. For real, last question this time. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, this is actually the most, the most important one. You know, I've, I've obviously I follow you on, on LinkedIn and, and, you know, have the pleasure of being able to interview you on here, but for those listening, if they have questions, where's the best place for them to get a hold of you? Yeah. I mean, LinkedIn is probably the one that I'm, you know, that's easiest and it's kind of like my jam, right? That's kind yeah. of where I publish most of my stuff. I pu- you know, publish a few things on Twitter and stuff, but like yeah. uh, not, not very, not very well. Like where, <laughs> I mean, if people want to like, get inside my head a little bit yeah linkedin is by far the best place and there's not too many john hunting houses out there so like just search john hunting house and you'll find me if it's another hunting house it's most likely my brother so there's so there's not a lot of hunting houses in the world so but yeah you can just find me on linkedin it's probably the, the best place awesome well john thank you much for taking the time today i really appreciate it i'm sure everybody listening to this episode feels the same way and have a good one and stay safe my friend sounds good thank you 
For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.